I'm Dave. Hi, Dave. I'm Dave. Yeah, that's better. Now I feel welcome. I must be among my brothers and my sisters here. Um, yeah, I'm Dave, and I am just honored to be with you here this morning. Uh, just a real quick bit about me, uh, and then I'll get right to it. I've got a lot to jam in today, so I'm going to be doing fast speaker mode, and uh, maybe you'll need the live stream recording afterwards to catch everything that I, I threw in there. I am the father of six children and the husband of one wife, so that's my greatest accomplishment right there. I, I live in Ontario, and I am asking for your forgiveness right now for that. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, I uh, took the role of Executive Director with Great Commission Media uh, Ministries, and can I do a quick check to make sure my clicker is going to advance here? Can I just do a... Uh, and am I, I am in control. All right, wonderful. Okay, thank you, everyone. <clears throat> But a year and a half ago, I took a role with Great Commission Media Ministries as the executive director here for Canada. Now, my being here today is completely Jack Benny's fault. Right there. There's, there's Jack. Uh, and that's because Jack sits on our Canadian board uh, for this ministry. And he introduced me to your pastor, Jenna, wherever she's sitting. Where is she? Oh, wow. Right behind the glass wall with her, yeah, with her son. Yeah, very good. And to make a long story short, that's what brings me here to you uh, today. So, Jack, I want to thank you for your support. I want to thank you for your dedication, for your generosity, and thank you for the example that you've been and your Christian witness. And thank you, Jenna, for the opportunity to speak to your church family here. So, as you may have guessed, uh, just from the name of our ministry, we are an evangelism ministry. That is... We're dedicated to the ministry of the word and getting it proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And we've been doing it for about 40 years. Now, evangelism is a huge task, and it's one that's to be shared by all of us. And we each have a part to play in that. Uh, so what part of evangelism has God tasked Great Commission Media Ministries with? Our ministry has been tasked with bringing the gospel to those in the world who are the hardest to reach. That's our special assignment, reaching those in the world that are the hardest to reach. And we do it by the hundreds of thousands, thanks to the power of media. And when I heard that your church was looking to partner with us, I was so excited, not for us, but for you. And the reason is, is that by partnering with us through your gifts and your prayers, you now are going to be reaching those on this globe who are the hardest to reach, because that's the way God works. He works in partnership. God is good. So today, uh, I have the privilege of contributing to your wonderful sermon series that's already been, been going on, the Names of Jesus sermon series. And I've been asked to weave a little bit about our ministry uh, that I work for in at the same time. So you'll sense that I'm trying to accomplish kind of two communication goals at once. So thank you for your patience. Um, so, I mean, I should only need about an hour and a half, so as long as you're okay, we'll, we'll, we'll make it. All right, so what name of Jesus are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about this one, the name that Jesus is uh, the light of the world, and that's who I work for, and if you're trying to get a quick snap onto our website, the QR code will work for you. All right, ah, the metaphor of light, it's scattered throughout the Gospels and the Bible at large. Uh, but uh, today I'd like to focus from the perspective of the Gospel of John, if I could. That's really 
you know, his take on light that I'd like to spend time with. He's got a lot to say about light in chapters 1 and in chapters 3 of his gospel, and I'll touch on that as we, as we get to them. But the passage that we'll explore to together today uh, is coming out of chapter 8, and it's beginning in verse 12. So I don't know if any of you bring your Bibles with you, but we will, right off the hop, just do a quick read of the passage, and then I'll start to unpack it together. So we're going to John chapter 8. And we're starting at verse 12. I will throw it on the screen for those that uh, want to follow along that way as well. All right. Well, when Jesus spoke again to the people, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I were to judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and the other is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You don't know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, is he planning to kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. And if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed Die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They didn't understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he was speaking, many believed in him. So, how do we know that Jesus is the light in the world? Because Jesus said so. Now, based on the immediate sharp reaction from the Pharisees in this passage that we just read, we realize that the Pharisees also identified this incredible declaration that he just made. They recognized it. They recognized what he just said. But I wonder, do we know what he just said? What he just declared? What is so special about this name of Jesus? Well, Hopefully, I can help with that to experience what they were experiencing. And we're going to need some context. You may have heard the old saying that a text without its context is just a pretext. 
let's try not to commit that error here this morning. So, I've decided to teach the context part here of this passage by way of a role play. Is that okay? We're going to dramatize this a little bit. I've written a fictional conversation between a Pharisee and a visiting pilgrim who's a non-Jew. And this visiting pilgrim has come to Jerusalem to experience the Feast of Tabernacles because it's world-renowned. The most important Jewish festival of them all. Now, because I'm writing a little fictional account here, I have taken some liberties, so please forgive me in advance. Why did I pick this setting? Well, our passage today is happening on day seven of that seven-day feast. And it's happening only moments before the closing ceremonies of the seven-day feast, which is the climax event of the climax festival in the Jewish calendar. It's the top of the top. And this ceremony is called the Ceremony of Lights. And it's performed every year. Okay, time for me to get into character. Hey, you're one of those religious guys, aren't you? Yeah, how can you tell? Your robe. I've been seeing you and guys like you wearing these robes all week, praying, teaching the crowds. So you're not Jewish? And yet you've come to our most important festival? Well, welcome. You are a most honored guest among us. You guys have more than one festival? Yeah, we got three, in fact. And they all point to just this one festival. Really, three festivals. How long have you guys been celebrating three festivals? Oh, since the days of our greatest prophet. His name was Moses. We've been doing it for more than a thousand years. So your festivals are celebrating something that happened over a thousand years ago? Yes, but they give us our purpose in the present and they still tell us about our future destiny. Whoa, your past, your present, your future. They're all wrapped up in these three festivals? Yeah, they are. Okay, that must be nice to have a God that talks to you like that and gives you festivals. Our gods don't talk to us. We have very little to go on concerning our past, present, and future. Well, believe it or not, our festivals and our God don't just tell us about our past, present, and future. They, they also tell us a little bit about yours as a non-Jew. What? Your God talks to you about us? Yes. But that's because he's not just our God. He told us that he's also your God. You just don't know that yet. But neither did we until he showed up and told us himself. See, that's the difference between gods and humans. Gods are invisible. And we don't know anything about them unless they show up and talk to us. So it's like all of us humans are left in the dark as to what's really going on in the heavens. Actually, that's exactly what it's like. Humans, all of us, are in the dark. So tell me, how did your God show up? Did he just come in person? Yeah, well, that would be the ultimate, wouldn't it? You know, imagine if God came in person. I suppose some of our prophets think about a day that he'll do exactly that. But in the meantime, he sends angels, prophets, holy book, Visions, dreams, lots of different things. He's quite active. All right. So you said that he tells you about the non-Jews. Yeah. So what does he say about the non-Jews? Well, let me think about where to start here. Uh, do you, do you're, in your ancient stories, do you have a story about a great flood? Yep. 
Yeah, we do. We've got a story about a great flood. Okay. Uh, many details? No, not much. Well, we've got the story of the great flood, and we've got lots of details in our story of the great flood. But here's the part that matters for our conversation for you. There was much evil in the world at the time when God started the human race all over again. He did it through one family. He did the flood and he restarted the human race all over again. Now, his name was Noah. Noah had three sons and along with their wives, they went into three different directions, right? Orange, yellow, and green. They went in three different directions and repopulated the earth. From the three sons came 70 nations. And that's where you come in as a non-Jew. You are from one of these 70 nations. Where did you say you come from again? Well, I come from Thessalonica. Okay, so you're a descendant of Japheth. 14 nations came from him. That's the red one. My people come from Shem, along with 25 other nations. That's the yellow one. Okay, that makes 40 nations. Yep, and Ham, his, the third son, 30 nations came from him. Okay, so you're saying that actually we're all related through Noah. That's right. And that's why our God is ultimately your God too. That is not what the stories of my people say. But keep going. I'm kind of curious. Okay, well, about 400 years pass and the nations are each finding their way as they go, developing their own languages, developing their own religions. And suddenly our God appeared to one man named Abraham and announced that all of the seven nations in the world, all of, of, out of all of the 70 nations in the world, he selected one nation for a very special assignment. Abraham's nation. Okay, so your God picked a favorite? Well, some of us think that way, but actually God told us something completely different. Told Abraham something completely different. He said that our nation would be a blessing unto all the nations. What did that mean? We're not entirely sure. We've argued about it for centuries. But we do know that one of the things that he's obsessed with is dwelling among his people. And our special assignment has something to do with dwelling and him dwelling among the people. Something to do with that. So does your God dwell among you now? Well, I'll get to that. Now, about our festivals. Yeah, yeah, I wondered when you were going to get back to the festivals. Okay, our first festival is called Passover. This is our celebration when our God delivered our nation from slavery and bondage. Yeah, yeah, I know about that one. That's, that's the story about Egypt, isn't it? Yes, that's the one. We were slaves for 400 years. Now, while we were slaves, we were unable to be a blessing to the other 69 nations. So God intervened. But because he loved you? Yes, but actually he intervened because he loves you. One of the other 69 nations. You see, as soon as he rescued us, he spoke to Moses and he gave us our next assignment. We were to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests for who? You, the other 69. You see, a priest stands between a God and God's subjects. He brings the people to God and he brings God to the people. So your nation's job is to bring your God to us and us to your God. Yep, that's the assignment. And that's what we celebrate in our first festival. We celebrate being people who are saved, and we celebrate being a people who are given a mission. We're never allowed to forget as a people that our God is your God, and that we're saved in order to go on mission. We're never allowed to forget that. What's your next festival? That's called Pentecost. 
It happens 50 days after Passover. And what's Pentecost celebrating? Well, 50 days after we arrived at the base of Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the Torah. Pentecost is the celebration of when God gave us his teachings and our law. Your God gave you teachings and laws? I wish our gods gave us teachings and laws. We have no idea how to please them. We're really just guessing. Yeah, there's nothing we cherish more than the Torah. It's about 25% law. That's our legal code. And the other 75% is teaching. Now, I need to point out that the Torah, as much as that it's a gift for our nation, was actually given for you, the other 69 nations. Well, what do you mean? We're supposed to follow your law and your teachings? Well, that's up for debate. Some of our prophets have said that. Others have said that following the Torah is just for our job. We don't, we don't know that. But what we know for sure, remember when I told you that God told Moses that we're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Well, we had no idea how to be a priest and a holy nation. So the Torah is what equipped us for that mission. It teaches us how to be priests. It teaches us to give instruction on how to remain holy. So that, you know, if we, we can't do our mission to the other 69 nations without both those things. All right, so if I'm tracking you right, you're telling me that the first feast celebrates being saved for your mission, and the second feast celebrates being equipped for your mission. Yes. Our prophets have taught us to celebrate what God has done to us, but for you. Okay. What about the last one? The one that we just celebrated this whole week. I mean, it was an unbelievable seven-day party. I've never seen so much food, joy, and praise, and dancing. But i got to admit, I do find it strange that you're all living in makeshift tents this week. Yeah, I can see why that would be strange for you. But this tradition is the ultimate symbol of past, present, and future. You see, we wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. We lived in these tents. It was long. It was harsh. It was painful. We were lost in darkness. But... We had a promise, a promise that we were being led to the promised land and that all we had to do to get there was follow the light. So your God sent you a light? No, better than that, our God actually came with us. He was the light. He looked like a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When we were at rest, he dwelled right in the center of us. That's his favorite place. But when we were on the move, he moved out to the front of us, and he led the way. So God tabernacled with us during a time that we all lived in tabernacles. Hence, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's your past. How does that relate to your present? Well, our prophets since have taught us that our wilderness wandering was going to be a metaphor to our current age, a lengthy age of ups and downs. The whole world is in an age of wilderness wandering. And for a few hundred years, our God continued to dwell with us right there in that temple, in fact. And if you look you know, at a map, you'd see that our nation is dead center of all of your nations. So I see. So according to your prophets, your nation became a light for us to see and to follow. Yes, actually. Only we don't generate the light. We, we aren't the light. Our nation isn't the light. But, but we do have it where we had it. We held it. The light did dwell among us and with us. And because we dwell among you, our, our nation became like a light unto you. 
Okay, you're using past tense language, so you're, you're not a light into the nations anymore. Yeah, very astute that I'm using past tense language, because we too are now in a period of utter darkness. Our prophet Ezekiel taught us that our conduct and behavior was not becoming of a nation that was to be a nation of priests and a holy nation. So we're, we're in a period of discipline right now, another wilderness. God's glory left our temple, and it hasn't come back. It's been a rough go for a few hundred years. Okay, so if I'm following your story here, I think you're describing a double darkness. Not only uh, are we, the 69 nations, lost in darkness, but even you, the one that was hosting the light of the world, has now lost that light. And if your prophets are right about this, this is pretty bad news for all of us. Yes, it is. But here's the good news. He's promised us that this age will end and that the light will return. How will we know when the time has come? Well, he's promised to send us his servant king. Now, we are already his servant people for you, the other 69 nations. But we're awaiting our servant king. We need the light back before we can get back to our assignment of bringing the light to you. So the light will come back when this servant king comes. Actually, our servant king will be the light, just like it was in the wilderness. Hmm. So the light in your past was God. Are you saying that this servant king will be God himself? Well, we don't really know. Some of us think so. He's done it before, and some of us have some different ideas. But, but we know that he will come to bring sight to the blind and to set all of us that are captives to darkness free. So when the light of the world returns to this temple, we know that it's time for us to bring the light to the rest of you, the rest of the world. That's our go time. That's why our closing ceremony to the Feast of Tabernacles is the ceremony of light. Okay, so I see everybody hustle bustling around here in the courtyard. Is that what they're getting ready for right now? Yep. You see those huge lampstands? One, two, three, four. And they've each got... They've each got four bowls, so that's 16 lampstands. Each of those lampstands hold 120 logs worth. That's how big they are. They can hold 120 logs of wood. And we're filling them with oil right now. That's enough oil to burn through the entire night. So you're going to light them? Yep. But we're going to wait for the darkness. In fact, we time this ceremony with the fall equinox on purpose. That's when the nights start to become longer than the days in the fall. When night begins to last longer, it's a symbol of darkness that's growing. But when we light these lamps up, you'll see that there is, there's no darkness that can overcome this light. Try as it might. And even that's a symbol. So how bright is this going to get? Well, this temple sits on a mount, and you can see over the mount, you know, the wall, the entire city of Jerusalem, you can see our walls. Right, this light will be bright enough that there won't be a single courtyard inside this entire city where there isn't light. It, it'll be lit right up. This city will be glowing. And you guys will be a light unto the nations again. Well, not yet, but that's what we keep practicing with this ceremony. When our servant king comes, he will be the light of the world, and we, the servant nation, will get to work 
bringing the light of the world to you. But today, you've come to enjoy this ceremony, which is really just a dress rehearsal. We're just practicing. Oh, thanks for explaining that to me. I see a whole crowd of religious friends over there, your friends. They seem to be all huddling around one man. Who's that? Oh, that's, uh, that's a guy named Yeshua. He's a curious man. Controversial teachings. Comes from Galilee. Looks like he's getting ready to say something again. Oh, I better get over there and hear what he has to say. Listen, thanks for coming to the festival and enjoy the light show tonight. That ends my role play. Click. Okay. So that's context. I'm out of character now. So is, was any of that helpful? Okay. Good. Let's see how our text reads now. <laughs> now we're ready to do our text. Here we are. It's the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Just before the light ceremony is about to begin, Jesus walks to the center of the courtyard with the 16 posts being filled with oil. The priests are coming over, getting ready to light the things on fire. He stands up, and that's when he says, when Jesus spoke again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will never be in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you know what he just said? He said in one single sentence, he just said, I am the light. I don't possess the light. I don't house the light. I generate the light. I do that. The former glory of the Lord that left this place back in the book of Ezekiel, it's back, it's me. I am the servant king. That you've been waiting for. The moment that this festival's been pointing to and has been pointing to for over 1,000 years. It's now. The world, each of you, are in darkness already. And you have only one chance. Come to the light. And you shall have the light. I wonder if you saw the nuance. The light isn't something that you can generate. But it is something you can have. It is something you can possess. And it's dead simple to get. You just need to step into the light. Now, you will see from the sharp response from the Pharisees that they heard Jesus loud and clear. Loud and clear in that one sentence. They understood immediately what he was saying. And they instantly put him on trial to substantiate the claim that he just made. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Therefore, your testimony, void. Jesus answered, look, even if I was providing a testimony on my own behalf, my testimony would be valid because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from, where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I were to judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I've given you two witnesses. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is my father who sent me. So they said, where's your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. 
You know, this is not the first time that this conversation has happened. Back in chapter 5 of the book of John, Jesus declared that he was the son of man. That's a pretty big title. And they demanded witnesses to substantiate his claim. The exact same thing. You know, back in chapter 5, he humored them. He gave them proof of what they asked for. He gave them five witnesses. Check it out when you go home this afternoon. But here we are again, rehearsing the exact same ground, only this time Jesus isn't playing along. You almost get the sense here that Jesus is kicking the dust off his own sandals and just leaving the town. You see, what the Pharisees have demonstrated here in this particular case is a persistent stubbornness, a refusal to believe. No matter what evidence is presented. Jesus doesn't waste any more time on these guys. He's done. He moves to the rest of the crowd. And he preaches this. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now this made the Jews ask, that was our clue. It wasn't the Pharisees asking anymore. Now it was the rest of the crowd. This made the rest of the crowd ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. I'm just what I've been telling you. From the beginning, he replied. So he preaches again. You are dead in your sins. You and I aren't from the same place. Where you come from cannot lead to life. Only where I come from can lead to life. And this caused the people to ask the right question. Who are you? To which Jesus replied, I told you already. I am the light of the world. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They didn't understand what he was telling them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I have done nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do what pleases him. And even as he was speaking, many believed in him. Now this, this is quite an amazing conclusion. Jesus has spoken up to this point in metaphors. He has spoken in symbols. He has made his case. He has substantiated it with witnesses, signs, and wonders. And even with all of this, you can see that the state of the people is still confused. They did not understand. And yet... They believed. Jesus boils this down for them. Premise one. Do you believe that our Heavenly Father is trustworthy? Yes. Premise two. Do you believe everything that he says? Yes. All right. Then there's only one more thing that you need to believe. Do you believe that he has sent me? 
Do you believe that I am the light of the world? See, belief doesn't actually come after understanding. The Pharisees have already proved that. Belief does not come after understanding. Rather, understanding comes after belief. Reason doesn't save. The word does. So, now, Jesus is the light of the world. What, what does that mean for any of us? Well, the Apostle Paul clears that up pretty quickly. He got himself into one of his nice debates in a Jewish synagogue in the early church. Paul and Barnabas answered the Jews in the synagogue boldly. They said, we had to speak the word of God to you first, you Jews in the synagogue, and since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now are going to turn to the other 69. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So what's happened here is that we've learned that we, the church, the people of God, what Paul has said to Barnabas, is that we have taken on the mantle of being a light unto the nations, unto the end of the earth. We, the people of God, who have the light of Christ within us, are now light for the Gentiles. With the purpose of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth, just like the Jewish festivals symbolized, each one of us has been saved for mission through the blood of Jesus Christ. Each one of us has been equipped for mission through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And each one of us has been sent on mission, doing the work of our Heavenly Father. Second, this passage makes really quite clear that there is only one ancestry that saves. And it's Jesus' heavenly ancestry that saves. Being born into a Christian home with Christian parents in a Christian tradition doesn't save you. Jesus makes quite clear that God has no grandchildren. Third, in terms of local mission, mostly it means be the light. Be the light. Show up. Show up. I wish I could spend more time on local missions application, but that's, that's another sermon altogether. But when it comes to global missions, you can't really be the light just due to geographic limitations, but you can send the light. And that's where Great Commission Media Ministries, where I work, comes in. So as you probably recall from the beginning of the message this morning, I shared with you that we're an evangelism ministry that has been especially called by God to reach those in the world that are the hardest to reach. We are the light of the gospel. For God loves each and every single one of these people, and it is will that there are none that should perish. And it turns out that they're very, very fertile soil. 
And they're worth every single penny that we can throw at them. Which is a bit different than the soil here in North America, I need to say. You know, those who have not heard the good news of Christ respond to it in numbers that will absolutely blow your mind. Take a look at this map on the left. The blue one. Okay. An animation move forward. I will explain this. The blue map on the left is uh, a demonstration of where all of the Christians in the, in the uh, world live. Right? That's where they are. That's where they're scattered about. Every blue dot is 50,000 Christians. So, it's not difficult for us to see where the darkest parts of the globe are. Right? You're just looking for the white spaces. Just in the last three weeks, we coming back? Just in the last three weeks, God kicked open a door for us through radio broadcasting that's going to allow us to reach, do you see that far top right one is the land of Russia? Right? Just in the last three weeks, we got a door open for us that we're going to be able to broadcast into Russia the gospel to over 70% of the Russian population. And if there was a country that needed to hear the gospel right now, it's right there. And that's just happened. I wish I could tell you more about that if we can get it funded, but I can't take the time this morning. Uh, but I will give you plenty of other ways to follow up with us. We have another very powerful ministry model. It's called our Mega City Media Campaigns. And if you were to look at the Russia map and just kind of come down a bit, you'll get into the former Soviet Union, make your way in that, in that uh, direction of uh, Pakistan and India. And our ministry model in there uh, is called a Mega City Ministry Model. I've brought literature here uh, out in the back for you to, to give that a good read to see what that's all about. But we have seen tremendous, tremendous work uh, there, that ministry model has flourished through pa Pakistan and through India. But in the time that remains today, I would like to share with you our most effective ministry uh, to date. And if I could ask you to get behind only one thing, I'd say get, get behind this. Now the map on the left is where all the Christians are. The map on the right is uh, pretty tricky to see, so I do apologize for that. But that is demonstrating in orange and red... Um, it's demonstrating where the, the church is most persecuted in the world. Okay, so it's the highest rate of church persecution in the world. So you're seeing this dark space, North Africa, Middle East, and then you're seeing um, this, this orange map on top saying, yeah, that, that's, that's where things are absolutely, absolutely the hardest. And this is what presents the dilemma. Christians can't really go in to these places and spread the light of Christ. But thanks to the power of media, we can send the light in and let the word do what the word does best. It saves. And it turns out that this soil is really quite fertile. And that's what we do. We produce gospel programming in Arabic and all of its related dialects and we beam it by satellite straight into, I've colored it green. Okay, that's our 18 satellite network, and that's where we're punching it in. We beam it in there. Now, I've got to tell you how powerful it is, because you're probably going to want a piece of this action once you see. This is how thirsty they are. Listen to this. When we broadcast one 30-minute television program about the gospel, 
in their language across this network of 18 satellites. Okay? One 30-minute episode. Our contact centers received 2,500 responses from a 30-minute program. 2,500 hits. We're broadcasting three of those every day. Now consider this. It only costs us about $2,500 to produce one of these episodes. So $2,500 is producing 2,500 responses into this call center from Muslim background people in Arabic nations, Arabic speaking nations. Only 2,500 bucks, which means if you wanted to reach one of these beloved in the world, beloved of God, who are the hardest to reach in the world, you can reach them, one person, for one dollar. That's the reach of media. And that's the power of the gospel. Great. All right. So that's who we are. That's what we do. What do we do? We help thousands of people from here, like you, reach millions of people over there with the gospel. It will bring joy to you as the giver. It will bring light to those who receive it. And of course, it brings glory to God. Let me close with this. Should be familiar to you. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is the light the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.